by the way, pickleball. Do you play pickleball? Of course I play pickleball. You play pickleball? I love pickleball. That's not like some weenie sport for you because the real deal thing, tennis, is what something you can do? (laughs) I think some people say that. It's like they can't play tennis, so they decide to play pickleball. But I love playing pickleball with my friends. Uh, I think it's so much fun. I think it's a great sport. I bet you suck at it. I'm right. Re- you play pickleball? <laughs> I have played pickleball, yes. All right, you maybe we can play sometimes. Is that what you're saying? You're saying you're going to beat me? Maybe we uh, could play and see, how, <laughs> see what happens. Welcome to the aggressive life. You know, we try to have this be a very unpredictable, unpredictable podcast. You know, just when you want to put us like in a box and say, oh, you're one of those Christian-y podcasts or, oh, you're one of those like man podcasts or, oh, you're one of those thin. We like to throw a little little curveball, like maybe a Top Gun pilot or maybe my guest today. You never know what's going to happen in your life. I'm sitting here in studio with a young woman who uh, 15 some odd years ago I met when my daughter was playing high school tennis. And this little girl, this little rug rat, was just having her little, her, she always had balls and she always had rackets and she would just get out there and just hit them. Anything was, just hit them, hit, 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 hit. And I said, oh, I'll be curious to see if that keeps up, if she's going to be that into tennis for that long. Because she was she was into it. But I don't know if she was into it because her, her mom was a coach. I don't know if she was into it because she had nothing else to do other than hit something when her, when her mom is out with her. Crazy. Here she is. She's 21 years old. Katie has already won six double titles on the Women's Tennis Association Tour. She's reached the doubles finals in the U.S. Open in both 2021 and 22. She's been ranked as high as 11th in the world in doubles tennis. She is about to about to crack the top 100 singles players in the world. She's got her eyes set firmly on winning Grand Slams, achieving a top 10 ranking on her way to number one in the world. Oh, and by the way, she can hit a tennis ball over 100 miles an hour. 100 miles an hour? <laughs> is that true? Yeah. My goal is like 120, 125. That's, oh, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of girls that can serve 120 miles per hour. So Really? Yeah. So what's a, what's a, a man serve, a, a professional men's tennis serve? Anywhere from 120 miles per hour to 145. I think the fastest is 160. 160? Wow. And so what does Serena do? I would say Serena in her prime was serving 125. Okay. Yeah. Well, I forgot to say this, Katie. So I couldn't be more excited to say, welcome to the aggressive life, Katie McNally. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is a really cool opportunity. And yeah, thank you so much. I was reading the paper couple weeks ago and there was a picture of you i think it was at wimbledon was that were you in doubles at wimbledon or was it the u.s, US open? open there you were a picture of go wait a minute that name sounds familiar i i was it was really really cool so 
this is like this is like dream time. We talk about aggressive life is knowing what you want, mm. going for it, not waiting for it, take control of your own life. Yeah. So, Katie, fill me in. Like, what happened from when I saw you hitting a tennis ball as a little girl to now getting national coverage and being in the newspaper? What What was your process? Well, it's been a long journey, and that's one word that my mom has always brought up. It's a journey. Everyone, you know, goes at their own pace. And, yeah, I mean— Ever since I was a little girl, I think my first memory of tennis was hitting balloons across the couch with my brother. Uh, he plays tennis as well. And he went to Ohio State, uh, got his degree there, and played on the tennis team. So I always had someone to look up to and always wanted to compete against him on the tennis court. And growing up at the club that my mom still works at to this day, I wanted to spend every minute with her there. And Every opportunity I could get on the wall just to practice by myself, I'd go out there and practice for two to three hours by myself. And I still hear stories from, you know, the manager of just seeing me out there by myself anytime I could. I started playing tournaments when I was eight years old. My mom didn't let me play before then because she wanted me to, you know, not be crying on the court and have a little bit of maturity out there, (laughs) even though I was playing against 16-year-old girls. But, um... As an eight-year-old, you were playing against 16-year-olds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it was just—I think I started out in the 10-and-unders, then went 12-and-unders, but I was just—I kind of needed a little a little bit more competition, so I would just play up and play any tournament I could could get into local locally, and then just kind of played some of the bigger junior events, did well in those, and then had agents kind of coming after me when I was 14 years old— And that was a lot. I mean, I give a lot of credit to my parents for, you know, backing me up and saying, Katie, like, this is a very big decision. You know, you could go to college, play for one semester, leave, play pro, and they would cover your school to come back. And when I was that young, I would say that I always wanted to be professional. And I was like, Mom, like, I want to turn pro. But she made me wait, and I'm super grateful that she did because I was not ready to turn pro. Not physically, not mentally, not emotionally. I wasn't ready for kind of what it involved. So, yeah, I've just been kind of working my way up in the ranks, and here I am now. Cracked top hundred a couple weeks ago. Oh, so you did crack. I did I'm crack. sorry. No, you're I had good. The, dirt. What are you doing? You're giving me wrong scripts to read here, Dirt. You're fired. <laughs> crack the top hundred. Well yeah, done. Thank you. Yeah. So that's kind of one of those goals. I feel like when you turn pro, you you want to crack the top, crack the top 100. And I've been pretty close in the past couple years. Before COVID, I was at 105. Then we had a long, you know, hiatus. Didn't play tournaments for six or six months, I guess. And things just were a little messy, but I'm glad that, you know, I could end the year on a high note. You're how old right now? I just turned 21. So, and you're glad that you waited to be, to come into pro. So what what do you think would have happened if you went in when you were 18? So I did. So I actually turned pro in 2019, but I could have turned pro 2017, I guess. And I, but I, I mean, I think I was just, like I said, I wasn't mentally prepared for what it all entailed. I mean, it's a week-by-week grind, a day-by-day, and you're traveling all the time, uh, a new city, a new country each week, and it's you're not going to be winning every week. So that's a, that's tough to to handle, you know, probably losing every single week. But 
each week you have a new week, a new opportunity. But back then I wasn't ready for that. So does it start off as a fun new thing and then it gets old or is it tough from the very first week? It's I would say it's tough from the very first week, but the one important thing is to have a great group of people around you. And I'm lucky enough to say that I have a great team surrounding me who they're all so positive. We all have the same goal, the same way that I want to play, which is aggressive. That's the way I play. And um, yeah, we, we all have one goal at the end of this. And that's just to enjoy the journey, just where I'm at each and every day. So yeah, I'm really grateful for them. The team that's around you, are those other professional tennis players or is that people who are in your support circle or or what is that? Yeah. So that's pretty much everyone in my camp, my support team. So that would be my mom, my dad, my brother, everyone in my family. Um, And then Kevin O'Neill, who is one of my traveling coaches. So every week I'm on the road, he's there with me. And then uh, physio, trainer, uh, mental psychologist. So there's a lot of people that kind of go into... They travel with you? They don't travel with me. The coach does just as of now, but down the road, my goal is to have a physio with me or a fitness trainer with me as well. But that's kind of down the road, I think. So you're right now doing doubles, you're doing singles. How frequently are are you on the road right now? More than half a year, I would say at least. Uh, Like I'm getting ready for a trip down in Australia. I'll be starting in Auckland. I'll leave right after Christmas. I'll be in Auckland and then I'll go to Adelaide and then Melbourne for two weeks. So that's four or five weeks on. I'll have one week off. Then I'll head back over to Doha, Dubai. So I'm not home very often, but it's definitely something that I've learned this year. I've traveled a lot and it's important for me to find the time to come home and kind of just get that mental reset with my family and my dogs. Your dogs. Yeah. What do you have? What kind of dogs? We have a sheepoo and a teddy bear. So two two little guys, uh, two little girls. But uh, one's name is Stella and one's name is Sky. So a teddy bear. That's a, that's a name of a breed. A teddy yeah. bear. I think it's like a a Shih Tzu and a Bichon mixed. All so right. I think that's what they call it. Okay. <laughs> so if you were sixteen and you were to write down, this is what I think being pro would be like. Now what you know right now, what would you coach your 16-year-old self on? Mm. Would you say, hey, get ready for this. Get ready for that. You're not going to think this, but that's going to happen. Like, what kind of surprises? Because to the average person, especially those who are hitting the tennis ball around as a 16-year-old, they're thinking, I want to do it someday. It'd be amazing. They'll be fantastic. Like, what's a – I hope it's fantastic or you're, you wouldn't be doing it anymore. But yeah. what's surprising to you? feel like it's not as glamorous as it can seem on the outside and that's why it's so important like I said to have a good team around you so each day they can keep you happy and refreshed and you all have the same goal so you know not to maybe overwork yourself so you're not burnt going into the next tournament but yeah it's it's lonely again like I said you need a good support team around you and it's not always up it's not like you're always going to be going up. Even in life itself, there's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be challenges. You're not going to win every match. You're going to lose matches where 
you should have won, where you were, you had match point, and maybe you missed an easy ball. And yeah, there's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. Just uh, and you're going to meet some really good people. And I've met some really great people on tour so far that I look up to and I keep in contact with. So I'm I'm pretty lucky for that. When did it sink in your mind that oh, I might actually be able to be a professional tennis player? When was that? a real possibility? Well, I think, you know, when we're younger, we all have these dreams. And I remember in class, you would write out, when I grow up, I want to be. And we actually had that assignment. And I made this poster. And it was like, when I grow up, I want to be a professional tennis player. And, you know, I just always had this thought in my head, like, I I don't want to go to college and play college tennis, like, knowing who I am and just wanting to go out and try to be on the professional tour. That's what I've always wanted. But um, I would say when I was maybe 12 or 13, I was playing some pretty high-level junior events, did pretty well in those events, and then the agents started coming. But that was a long process, kind of getting through that. But I always had that in the back of my head that I wanted to be a professional. 12 or 13, you're playing against what age? 18 and under. 18 and under. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, my my daughter was big into tennis. That's how we know, in case we didn't say this. Uh, uh, your mom was Lena's coach yeah. in in high school, and she did the whole whole deal. And then and and there was just those people who she would compete against, or you thought, all right, that person is in a completely different league, totally different league. She never was playing somebody six years younger than her, though. Mm. <laughs> or playing somebody six years older. I mean, yeah. so for you to do that, that's, yeah, that had to be a sign. So at 12, 13, you're thinking, this is a real possibility. Yeah. I mean, yeah, tennis is a crazy sport. Even now I've played girls that are, I mean, now I'm the older one. I'm 21. I've played 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and it's like, whoa, this is kind of weird. That was me once. That but sucks. <laughs> I'm like, I better not lose this match. <laughs> I don't want to lose this match. But then again, I'll play 35-year-old girls out on the tour, and it's just like, well, I guess, again, that could be me one day if I decide to play until that age. But I just try to go out there each match and not worry too much about my opponent, just kind of focus on what I need to get done. So when it sunk into you that this was a real possibility, did that cause you to do anything different in preparation? I would say just as I got older, I just matured more and figured out kind of what worked best for me. Um, Even throughout this process, I'm growing every day, learning kind of what I need to do to get me ready for my matches, the little things, writing in my journal, just for what I need to do, and then a little bit about my opponents, uh, talking over the matches, watching streaming videos of my opponents that I can find on YouTube. So there's just little things that I'm learning along the way. I mean, I'm still still pretty young in this in this journey, so I'm sure there's a lot more I can learn. But when you say talking over the matches, yeah, what what does that mean? So usually, when I know who my opponent is, I'll know the day before my match. And sometimes it's not even, yeah, usually the day before my match. Uh, we'll just log on to YouTube and search up my opponent and hopefully find some videos of them. We'll watch the same matches and kind of just jot down what we see from them, maybe some patterns that they like to do or, 
where they stand within the court, whether they're super aggressive or they like to retreat and run down balls. So kind of just like more tactically what we see so I can go into the match just with some notes as to how they usually play. What's the basic training pattern for you right now? Is there is there a workout routine you have every week? Is that uh, you know just I mean, you're, you're a pro, right? Yeah. I mean this is this is this goes way beyond you being able to figure out how to hit the right forehand. Yeah. You're you, like what what do you do to maintain and grow the machine? Yeah, so it kind of just depends on where I am. If I'm at a tournament, obviously. You know, my training regimen is a little different and I'm just trying to, you know, get ready for my matches and not feel too tired. Uh, So but when I'm back home like I am right now, it's and this is off season. So I would say an hour to an hour and 20 minutes of fitness per day Hmm. with two to four, depending on the day hours of tennis, kind of just depending on. How I feel. Two and to four hours a day with, with a racket with, in your hand. With a racket in my hand. And then within the week, three times a week, I try to get some type of physio work, which is an hour long. So it's, I mean, it ends up being a pretty long day. What's physio? Physio would be any type of like massage or cupping or dry needling. Oh, I need that every day, massage. <laughs> every, every day. I need that every day. Uh, dry needling, I could live without. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, but I mean, it works. But yeah. not a, now, do you know what dry needling is, Dirt? No idea. Well, it's when you take a needle that is dry <laughs> <laughs> and they stick it in your muscle to promote, I don't even know, what, what what's the philosophy? kind of like more blood flow, bring blood flow to the area and try to like Maybe the fibers in there kind of like break up the fibers, loosen it up. So. All right, that makes sense. Yeah. I had what I thought was a uh, a bicep that was tearing. Okay, it was just not good at all, and I was like freaked out about it. My chiropractor was doing the whole dry needling thing on me, which sounded like a really great idea until they actually did it. Yeah, it it's, hurt. It's not. It's not a comfortable thing, but I think if you find the right people, like the right person that does it a way that's not as painful it's a little bit better so so you've got those physical things you're doing as a pro how about are there things you're doing as a pro intellectually spiritually emotionally whatever any of those things that helps you perform on the court yeah so i actually started two years ago something called neuropeak and that is um kind of like this breathing routine where i put a belt around kind of like right under my bra line. And for 10 minutes a day, I breathe and I can actually follow my breathing patterns on my phone through an app. And that's just something that's helped me that I can do that there. But when I get in a match, I can also get my breathing under control and take me back to a place where I feel like I'm in control of myself because there's a lot of times within matches where you know, whether it's the pressure of the match or the, where you are in the match point-wise, long points, there's just any any of the outside things, your, your, blood, your blood pressure can rise. And it's really important, I feel like, to just be able to, like, bring yourself back and feel grounded. So that's something that I've done that I've seen a huge difference and that has, yeah, has really helped me. So We had... Uh, Michael Chandler on the podcast a while ago. He's you know one of the top stars in UFC, and um, and he was big on that. He he was saying that 
keeping your heart rate down yeah. is good because it takes away your energy. You only have so yeah. much energy, and the faster your heart rate is beating, the, the it's it's sucking your energy away, which which really surprised me because I would have thought, oh no, you got to get jacked and pumped up and adrenaline spike and just fire yourself up for a match. But no, he wants to be down at 60, 50 beats a minute if you can yeah. before a match so he has energy. So that's interesting to hear that's the way it is in your sport as well. Yeah, I mean, with experience, when I go out there and I play a match and I'm really amped up, I mean, and there's a lot of, like, adrenaline, I feel it the next day compared to when I'm, like, more relaxed and kind of within myself. I'm way more sore when I'm amped up, and that's just pressure, I think. It's like your body almost going into, like, a tightness mode. And when I'm able to go out there and kind of just play point by point, relaxed, I feel a lot more refreshed the next day and ready to go. Mm. So it's pretty interesting. Anything else you do that's outside the physical in your training? Um, I also speak with a mental psychologist, and that's maybe not a thing I do every day, but down the road, I think it would be something I would like to do a little bit more often. Just speaking about where I'm at, Mentally, I think it's so important to be able to have someone that you can talk to, whether it's about tennis or about life, but someone that you can just tell them how you're feeling. And I think that's that's super important, especially in life in general. But as a professional tennis player, there's so many things we go through and so much traveling and the wins, the losses, being able to kind of like bounce your feelings off of someone and be like, this is how I feel. This is what I'm going through. I think that's extremely important for anyone to find. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about fitness goals and New Year's coming up and people are going to be having workout plans and mm -hmm. all that. It's good. We should be healthy, but there's not a lot of people who want to do the really hard work of being mentally and emotionally healthy. That's it, it's it's easier to go on a long run, you know, or to work out your your abs than it is to dig into your stuff, you yeah. know, to talk about things you'd rather not talk about, to keep stuffing the things that are in there, to not be transparent with somebody else. That's I gotta think that's gonna catch up to you as a pro athlete. If you're not on top of that stuff, it's gonna catch up to you in one way, shape, or form eventually, right? I mean, yeah, like you said, you can you can try to go on runs and you can try to stuff it down with you by going and practicing for more like for longer each day or you know going in the gym and lifting but those problems ultimately are still going to be there and if you're not able to face them you know head on you're there's like I said they're still going to be there and one way or another they're going to come back so it's just best that you find someone that you can talk it out with well that's basically Tiger Woods you know he was on top of the world physically amazing yeah. mechanics but Mentally, he's just mentally and or spiritually and or emotionally just one breakdown after the next over the last last several years and just ca capped himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When you're on the tennis court, Katie, what what do you um, I mean, do you get to a point as a pro where it's where you just say this is where I am right now and I'm just going to keep trying to do more of this only better or are there outages in your game that you're aware of or weaknesses that you're trying to improve on? What do you, what do you do that's in your control to improve? Yeah. So I think, you know, every day I'm always trying to improve something, even if it's something small and the team around me, my mom as a coach, you know, she's there giving me tips and things that I need to work on that she sees from the outside. 
yeah, I mean, even right now, little adjustments with my serve, trying to use my legs more, trying to be a little bit more physical with, you know, just how I'm moving out there with my legs. Um, and we all know exactly how I want to play. Like I said, I play very aggressive. And when I'm playing my best tennis, I'm an all-court player. I enjoy coming forward. It's kind of like an old-school type of game style, which you don't see too much in today's game. So I'm, I know how I want to play, but I'm trying to better it each and every day. Like there's little things that I can do, and I have to work on them every single day. And it might be the same shot, but every single day I'm going, and whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'm going out there and, and doing it because that repetition will count in the big moments. It'll just be like you know how to do it. There will be no thinking. It's just within you. When you say legs, are are you talking moving around the court? Are you talking about the right form on a shot? What what are you talking about? I think in tennis, you have to have kind of all of it. You know, strength and power are super important. Uh, Serena Serena Williams, for an example, is someone that can go out on the court and just overpower their opponent with just being so strong physically. Um, so. If you don't have that strength in your legs, it's very easy to get tired in like a two out of three match. I mean, sometimes these matches are three to four hours that we play, and then you have to go back out and play doubles an hour later. So the strength and the strength wow. conditioning, you know, having the agility, the mobility within within your legs, within your hips, it's it's all super important, and it all pays off because tennis isn't just you can't just have one thing and you're going to be you're going to be the best. You have to have, you have to be strong. You have to be, you know, you have to be able to switch directions very quickly. Um, being flexible is extremely important. I think if you've ever watched Novak Djokovic play, he can go into the splits d- during really? his shots. Yeah. He'll go into the splits, get back up and hit an open stance backhand with his left leg sliding out. So I'm not quite there yet, but that's the goal. I think that's the goal. I, You're working towards. Yeah, that. I'm definitely working towards that. I mean, I want to be as flexible as possible so that prevents injuries down the road. For you know, I want to play this game for another ten to twelve years. So I want to be as physically uh, stable as possible. You mentioned a couple times that you play aggressive. I, I I thought you were just trying to pander to our podcast called The Aggressive Life, but no, I could see this is a, a value of yours yeah. while you play. Yeah. What's an example of, you say, play aggressive versus just a pro player that doesn't play aggressive? What's What will be the, the shift there? Yeah, so my game style, like I said, is a little bit more old school. Um, I like mixing in the serve and volley. I like hitting returns and coming in, uh, shortening points, uh, cutting cutting angles off, and you know making my opponent really feel the pressure of my presence. And that's how I play. And there's other players that play extremely aggressive as well. And then there's other ones that maybe play a little bit more tentative or um, are more counter punchers. So they kind of just wait for their opponent to miss. And tennis is extremely mental sport. So not going to lie, there's been times where the matches got close and I am playing aggressive, I'm playing free. And then next thing you know, I'm like super tentative, mm. playing not to win, not really swinging through my shots. And I've lost some matches where I should have won and I've talked with my coaches after and it was just, you know, you kind of got tight. Like 
you, you got tight, you froze up, and that's something I've just kind of had to go through. Those are the experiences that you have to go through as a tennis player. You have to lose these matches to learn. You only learn by failing. And I've, I feel like I've failed a lot already in my career, but it's really only helped me. Like I've learned more about myself and what I need to do to win matches and just be the best version of myself out there. When you say old school, you're talking about you're hitting the serve and then you're rushing the net to yeah. cut off the cut the court in half. Basically, yeah. when you say old school, are you saying that was the recommended way to play back when? But today, that's not so much the case. Yeah, so I would say like back like a great example would be Martina Navratilova. She was a great example of someone that would you know serve and volley, hit and come in. Um, you know, make the point short. And nowadays, I feel like you don't see it that much, especially in the women's game. You see a lot of just, it's like one style. These girls just want to go out there and hit the ball as hard as they can. But luckily enough, my mom, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, she taught me all the shots. She taught me how to slice and she taught me how to hit heavy balls and, you know, be able to withstand the power of these shots that these, that these girls hit. But, you know, it's, Again, it's taken me a while to kind of figure out which tool to use at the right time. And I've lost some matches where I hit the wrong shot. I hit a drop shot where I maybe should have, you know, hit the backhand. Or, again, like I've I've just learned along the way of um, what I need to do, what shots at the right time. And not not every girl in today's game has that. That's kind of like a, just like a one a one-way game style. Your mom was pretty intense. Is she still intense? Yes. A lot of <laughs> she's gonna hate that I say this. No, but, no, no, come on. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm only leading you into it. No. I'm only, I'm only baiting you. Come on, come on. She, uh, some people are like, "Wow, your mom's really intimidating." I'm like, "You just got to get to know her. She can come across as that, but deep down inside, she's the most selfless person, and she really does care about everyone." So. Yeah. Well, intimidating may be true, but I, I use the word intense. There's She's very intense, there. though, too. She doesn't like losing. <laughs> no, and she probably doesn't like it when you lose. Or does she, she, does she cover it up pretty well? How does she do with that? My mom is extremely calm when she watches me play. She sits there, shows no emotion, and for me personally, I think that's great. Like, you look over there, it, she's positive, but she never shows any negative emotion. So when I'm looking over at her, I always feel like, okay, like I can do this. You know, she's there supporting me. But she she really doesn't get too nervous, which I don't know how she does because I would be a nervous wreck watching my child play. How often does she watch you play on the tour? She travels a little bit here and there, um, especially when the tournaments are in the States. Uh, it's a little bit easier easier for her to get there. Next year, though, I'd like her to travel a little bit more Uh even, you know, overseas, that would be great because it's just, it's my mom. I, you know, she's my coach as well, but it's nice having your mom there and just kind of having those experiences together. So I'm hoping that that can happen. That's cool, man. Uh, you know, Lynn did something right. Cause there's, there's a lot of 21 year olds that really would not want their mother to be around at all <laughs> or their dad. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. No, I mean, we have a great relationship and, not going to lie, it's been, there are times where it's very difficult when it, to have that mother-daughter, but also coach relationship. It's not easy. But I think we've kind of found that balance where it's like, okay, mom, like, I want you to be mom right now. Like, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about the match or my, my tennis game right now. 
or mom, like, I just want you to be my coach. Like what I say right now, I don't mean to hurt you personally. If I'm saying anything bad, it's kind of just me venting on the tennis court. I just want you to be my mom, tell me what to do tactically. And yeah. You were 17 years old and on the same court as Serena Williams. Take us back there. Yeah, so that was the year I won. I, so I won my first round at the U.S. Open. When I won that match, I went into the locker room. There was a match on the TV, and it was uh, Serena Williams versus Maria Sharapova. And I was like, I play the winner of that match. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> I know I'm going to be playing night match in two days on that court, which is Arthur Ashe, one of the biggest courts in the world. And Serena had won, and... I was like, all right, I'm going to play Serena Williams. This is this is a, a dream. I mean, this is something that I never thought would have happened. It's like it's like when you're young, it's like, oh, like I was watching Serena Williams win Grand Slams on my couch, and now I'm going out to play against her. I remember going into the match, and they were interviewing me, and they're like, how do you feel? And I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go, you know, a little nervous, but— I was so nervous. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was like a packed night match on Arthur Ashe. Oh, and I was man. like, the lights were on. I was like, are the lights going to turn on in here? Like, the lights have to turn on. Um, they did. And uh, I actually, yeah, I won the first set against her. The first set you did? Yeah. And the crowd was going crazy. They were actually, I think they wanted me to, you know, I heard a lot of cheering. I of course think they, they wanted like, you to win. Serena the- Williams annoys a lot of people, <laughs> present company included. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, wow, they're actually cheering for the, the underdog in this. But then Serena kind of went into Serena mode and took care of business the next <laughs> the next two sets. But, um, I mean, that was, that was a night I'll never forget. Wow. Something that I can tell my kids one day and... You were up one set to nothing on the goat. On the goat, yeah. Until she until she showed me why she was the goat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that's gotta be universally understood in your field, right? She is the greatest of all time, right? Or yeah. not. I mean, personally I think she's the greatest of all time. What she's achieved twenty three Grand Slams, I think it is. I mean, most people just try to get one and she's won twenty three and that's just singles. If you look at her doubles, she's actually won like 14 or 15 doubles Grand Slams as well. She's won the Olympics. Uh, and number two is what? She's the highest, right? Uh, number two, like who would be the yeah, set? closest? There's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of people. Martina back in the day, maybe but that was a different. They were playing at different times, I think. So that's a tough call. What do you mean by playing at different times? Like, I think uh, Martina played at a time where Serena wasn't, was maybe younger. So, oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. You're, yeah. you're not saying the game was any different, or are no, you? No, I mean, I would say now it's a lot more powerful than it, it was back in the day. If you watch some of the tennis back in the day, I mean, it was it was good tennis, don't get me wrong, but they were playing with wooden rackets. It wasn't as much as a physical game. I don't think they were putting in as much work in the gym. Right. Um, as we are in today's game, I just think it's a lot more, a lot more powerful today. Well, you had those old, old school guys like Bill Tilden, who was 
chain I smoking. You know what I mean? Oh, I don't know me. It was like the twenties or something like that. Yeah. Chain smoking stuff, you know, before, after, during matches, which by the way, have you ever heard this? This, this could be a total wives tale. I had a buddy of mine who was really, really big into tennis. He told me this story. Tell me if this is true or if this is completely ridiculous. In the early phases of the Williams sisters, when they were taken off, mm-hmm. they were at a press conference and apparently Serena said, yeah, if we were in the, uh, if we were in the men's league, we would be, re- we would be ranked in the top 100 in the men's league, which caused the number 100th guy in the men's tournament to be highly offended because he's basically saying you would bump me. And that guy's name was something like Shlomo Glickstein. You ever, have you heard of the story? I have. Uh, I have heard of them saying something like that. And, and then he actually challenged. He actually challenged Max. So he said, "Okay, we're gonna play together. Except I'm gonna drink a six pack before the before the game. I'm gonna put a, 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 smoke a pack of cigarettes before the first game. And then between every every game, I'm gonna have another beer and another cigarette. And then he just apparently went on crushed her. That okay. is true or not true? Have you heard this? I have not heard about the the drinking in the in the cigarettes, but I have heard. I think her make remarks of saying that she could be top hundred in the men's game, which no comment. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's good for her. <laughs> yeah, she, she uh, women's she's greatest of all time. I wouldn't want to bet against her and and no. against a number of men. I certainly wouldn't want to. I just thought that if I actually went that far, that would have been that would have been pretty funny. Yeah, that that would have been <laughs> that would have been something else. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you've got. On your Instagram profile, Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What's that scripture mean to you? And why is it, is that a life verse for you or what is it? I think it's life and tennis, but yeah, Proverbs 3, 5 has been one of my uh, favorite Bible verses out there. Just, it's just a reminder that through the good times and the bad times, you know, if you Put your trust in God. Uh, he'll take care of the. He'll take care of the rest, and it's His timing when things are supposed to happen. And I think you know we have all these. You know, for myself and my tennis, I I have these goals and get this ranking by this time. And it's like if you don't do that, you kind of like you worry and there's fear. And it's like if I don't do this, I won't be in this. There's so many th- places where your head can go. And I think I've gone through a lot this year almost to the point where I wanted to, you know, hang my rackets up for a little bit and was just so lost within myself. And I remember the exact moment, actually, and I was just like, God, like, I I need you now more than ever. Like, I can't, I can't do this without you. And like, it's just, it's been a long journey, honestly. And I, I finally found comfort in just like handing it over to him and being like, I'm going to trust you, like, with the timing of, of my journey. And you know, as my mom said, it's everyone's journey is different. Everyone peaks at different times. And I think, you know, this past two months has really just been a testament of me trusting in him and in my process and my journey and uh, cracking top 100, winning my first WTA like that, that, that was so special just because of what I've been through and what my team around me, like they know what I've been through and it was it was incredible. So that Bible verse, it just really means a lot to me because, you know, trusting in him on the tennis court, but even in life, you know, things that I can't control and some family issues that we've had. And 
I can't, unfortunately, I wish I could, you know, heal them, but I got to give that over to God. He's, he'll take care of it. Whatever happens, that's what's meant to be. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask what the it was. <clears throat> you don't need to give details with just yeah. some family yeah. related something. Yeah, just, just family. Or just, you can't, you can't give details if you want. Yeah. I just didn't want to leave that no, hanging. Yeah, yeah. No, um, just some things with my mom's parents, you know. The past couple months have been a, a little difficult with them getting in a car wreck and kind of their lives turning upside down. My papa going into a nursing home while my nanny's back at home with assisted living. So it's just been a really big adjustment. And, you know, you just you're there and you you just seeing my papa not really be himself. It's like, I wish I could fix it. Like, I wish I could make him better. I wish I could just give him some of my my health and to him, but it's like, I've given this over to God now. Like he's in God's hands and God has a plan for him. Whatever happens, I know that's what's meant to happen. That's where he's supposed to be. That's a really good verse that I don't think I can be reminded of enough. Lean not on your own understanding. Yeah. Lean not on your understanding. How, how do you, how do you balance that with setting goals. It seems like you, like, I think there's two ways to look at life mm-hmm. um, or go at life. One is the two successful ways anyway, two successful ways I've seen. One is <clears throat> set the goal, set the goal, go after the goal. And then when that one's hit, do another goal. That's one way. I've not really done well that, with that personally. Mine has been look for weaknesses in yourself and keep mm-hmm. pushing. Yeah. Take advantage of opportunities and keep pushing. I've seen both of those work. It sounds like you're on the goal front. You'd like to have like top 100 by this. Is that true? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think as a as an athlete going into each year, you write out these goals. And for example, my goal next year is top 50. But that's not what I focus on, actually. I really focus on the day-by-day work that goes into it. And I know that if I'm doing the daily work of, you know, on the tennis court, off the tennis court, being the best person that I can be, um, I'm going to feel good about myself. So personally, rankings aren't that big of a deal to me. It's more of the day-by-day work, um, doing what needs to be done. And yeah, I think I think everyone's different. Some people are super into uh, rankings and, and goals, but that doesn't define me, the goal. The goal doesn't define me. All right. That's good. Well, you, you said that you see yourself in the top 10 in the next five years. So is that in your mind, you think, here's the way I'm going to get there? Or do you just see to yourself, this is my natural growth trajectory. So I think I'll just naturally be there. So when I, yeah, when I say that, um, like, I feel like you can take it two ways. It's more of like, some people might think, oh, that's like a lot of pressure to put on yourself to be in the top 10. But when I say that, I that's it's a goal of mine because I know it's achievable and I've seen the level that I'm capable of playing compared to the girls that are in the top 10. And I feel like if I continue on this this journey and this route that I'm on, it's definitely achievable. But I'm not putting the pressure on myself that like if in five years I'm not top 10, then like I failed. That's because that's definitely not what I'm saying. It's it's a journey and, you know, my ranking could go up and then it can go down. It's it's never going to stay the same. Each week you have to defend points possibly and each week is a new week. So you can win one tournament 
But the next week, you know, you're in the round of 64, the round of 128, which you're just restarting the tournament. So, yeah, when I say that, I just mean that I think I'm capable of doing those things. But it's no no pressure or any, anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Anything, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that I I think I can do that. You said that your mom is your rock, works 70 to 80 hours a week. So you don't grow out of that, huh? As you've grown older, it's still mom is as important as she ever was. Mom, yeah, no. I think some, yeah, like you said a little earlier, some people may get a little bit sick of their mom. And there's been times where it's like, mom, just just back off a little bit. But ever since I was a little girl that you saw running around CHCA, she's always put her kids first. And she's always taking care of my brother and I and, and my dad and worked hard so we could have so we could go play tournaments and you know even have these dreams that that are attainable like this dream that I have and the journey that I'm on wouldn't be possible without her working crazy hours and covering the bills of flying overseas and staying in hotels every week and you know paying for my coach and paying for all the meals nothing is Nothing's covered by by any like we pay for really? it. Everything is paid for by us. Really? Yes. I'd have thought that if you're in a tournament, someone's covering your expenses. No. Uh, no. In the pros, so in the WTA, what I play now, certain level events, my room will be covered the nights I'm playing in the tournament. But once you lose, that night's covered, and then they don't cover anything else. But food, airfare. Um, Anything else wow. is all covered, uh, yeah, by us. And some federations, like the U.S. Federation or like the U.S. Federation, yeah, they they don't pay for anything of mine. But some other federations, like in Australia, will give their players anywhere from twenty to sixty grand to use that any way that they had want, any way they want to pay, you know, their trainer, their physio, their coaches, their mental psychologist. But yeah, we've we've kind of my mom's kind of done it all on her own, and credit to her. I mean, yeah, she's man. She's I didn't realize that. So you're as a professional tennis player, it is an eat what you kill period. Yeah. And at what point in the tournament do you start making money? Well, so you make money from the first round on. Okay. So when you step on the court, you make money, but depending on the level of the tournament depends on how much money you make. So if it's a lower level tournament, you're not going to make as much money. How many wins on in a tournament do you have to have to break even on your expenses, do you think? That's like that's, if you say if I win my first game, I'm always going to be whole or is it like I got to win like 3 and uh, 3 matches and I'm whole? So there's different level tournaments. There's a WTA 250 which is the lowest, or there's a WTA 125, a WTA 250, a 500, and a thousand, and then a Grand Slam. And 250s, you have to win, I would say, three, you probably have to get to the quarters or semis to even either break even or maybe make a little bit of a profit wow. off of what, and that just depends on who you have with you. I mean, I only travel with a coach, but there's players out there with a whole support team of a coach. They bring their private physio, they bring their private trainer, and they have to pay 
for them to work, but they also have to pay for all separate hotel rooms and their food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's, it's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That seems like slavery to me. Well, your goal is to be in the Grand Slams. When you're in the Grand Slams, that's where you make most of your money. I mean, stepping on court at a Grand Slam first round, you're probably going to get paid $70,000 to step on court. Okay, so all you need is, so in that tournament, you just need to step on court at a Grand Slam, you're good to go. I mean, yeah, you can say that, but I think just, you know, you want to win. You want to you go far in Grand Slams. I think those are the tournaments where you work you want to do on other events, but if you can peak in a Grand Slam, that's where the highest prize money and the highest points you're going to get are going to be. So is your, are you keeping track of how much your mom and dad are paying for all these things? And like, okay, aha, I get a cut of that check. Or do you just, or is it just, I'm just curious how these things work. How yeah. does that work? Yeah, so my my dad actually manages all my money. So I, I trust him to kind of take care of all of that. And... The money-wise, my mom is always like, Katie, like, she doesn't want me to worry about the money part. She just wants me. She's like, the money will be taken care of. I just want you to go out there and enjoy yourself, play your game, and it'll all take care, it'll all take care of itself. So I don't look too much into the, to the money. I mean, of course, sometimes, you know, if you're doing well in a Grand Slam, I might take a peek at what I've made so far, and I'm like, wow. But, again, my mom's like, Katie, you actually didn't make that much money with taxes and all the fees and all the people like paying your coach and the food and the airfare, like it's not always what it seems. So she, she's taught me to be pretty humble about that. So I, I don't really pay too much uh, attention to the money. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Katie, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. The lightning <laughs> rounds, I give you a topic and you got to just like answer it back to me. Like, are you up for the challenge? Can professional, Athletes compete in the lightning round. I hope so. Okay, I'll here we ready. go. Here we go. Here we go. Key thing to focus on before a big match. I would say focusing on what I need to do and maybe some of the strat- strategically tactical things that my opponents do, which I write down in a journal and I bring on the court with me so I can look at every changeover. Most aggressive move you're making right now? Taking accountability for all the little things in my life that I need to take care of. And then just being open and honest with my thoughts and feelings towards my team for like what I need or what I kind of think I need from them. Now, you've got a lot of success in this next realm. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing your answer. What makes a good doubles partner? Good communication and being very positive. That's something that I think is key within a doubles player. If you guys can communicate well and, you know, this might go a little little longer, but (laughs) take take the time. Okay. Like me and me and Coco Goff, for example, we're a doubles pair and we haven't played a lot this past year, but We've kind of turned into this thing called Mick Coco and gone worldwide with it. And we played this past two weeks ago. Uh, we played for Team USA over in, in Scotland. And we just have 
From the first time we played together, it was kind of like we were attached on a string. When she moved one way, I moved with her. And when she moved back, I moved forward. And that's something that you can't get with every doubles player, but it's just something that we gelled together so well. And you can't teach that or replicate that very easily. So that and just being positive, you know, there's you, each point's a new point. Um, you can't dwell too much on the last point or that'll affect you for four or five more points. You just got to stay in the moment, play point by point, be positive with yourself, with your partner. I think those are the keys. How do you, by the way, find a doubles partner? It, it almost seems like it doesn't get televised at all. I wish it would because I, I find doubles matches fascinating to watch. Is it is it a kind of thing where you just call somebody up and say, hey, uh, why don't we just throw our hat in the ring and be doubles this next tournament? Yeah, uh, you know, that's funny you say that because usually that's not how it is. But this, I played in Czech Republic two months ago and I didn't have a doubles partner going to the event. And I was leaving the hotel and uh, another American girl screamed my name and she screamed my name. And I was like, so I, like, I didn't notice it. So I kind of was just walking away. She chased me out of the hotel and she's like, do you have a doubles partner? And I was like, no, I'm looking, but, uh, Maybe we could sign up if we get in together, if our rankings are high enough. So we signed up, got in. We've never played together before. We won the whole tournament. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like not bad. You know, each match we kind of learned a little bit more about each other and about how we like to play. But usually you kind of have it mapped out um, with who you're going to play with, what weeks and um, but sometimes it is a last minute type thing and you kind of just, you know, you work it out. You hope for the best. What percentage of women on the tour are doing doubles as well as singles? I would say 75% hmm. of players are playing singles and doubles. I mean, I personally love playing doubles. I mean, I like playing singles and doubles. And I think for a long time, you know, I have, I've had a lot of doubles success, um, coming before my single success yeah, later this yes. year. And a lot of people were saying, you know, you know, maybe you should just stick to doubles. Maybe you're just a doubles player. You, you don't, I don't really see the success coming in singles. And that, that really gave me a lot of motivation to, you know, you know, kind of like watch me, like I'm going to do it. But I enjoy both. I mean, I think it's great going out there by yourself and kind of it's a challenging thing, just figure out what your opponent's doing, what you need to do better. And then, Doubles is fun as well, having someone out there to just play with and get along with, support one another. And I think, yeah, I think it just depends. I mean, a lot of players play both, so. Is it 75% as well on the men's tour plays, play doubles? Uh, I would say it's probably, I would say maybe it's a little bit less, like 60 to 65%, but a lot of the players... In the Grand Slams, some of the bigger singles players that, you know, maybe get to like the quarters, semis, finals, they don't play as much doubles because they want to let their body rest and get ready for their next singles match. But you'll see a lot of players that play singles and doubles, or you'll just see doubles players out there that only focus on doubles. I think no matter what you play, it's great. Um, I wish they would televise yeah. more doubles. They just yeah, I they wish don't. They did too. I don't know. It's a lot of fun. Totally is. All right, back to the lightning round. <laughs> Athlete you most look up to and why? Roger Federer. 
He's been my favorite tennis player since I first started watching and playing tennis. Um, I've just always admired the way he's carried himself on court. He's such a class act, and I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple times. And, you know, he's this, you know, amazing tennis player and pretty, I mean, he's very well known, and he was the most humble guy I've ever met. It was, we were talking about Mason, Ohio, him going to Barnes and Noble on his days off, and it was just like, I was talking to some random person, but I thought that was really cool that you can have, you know, you can win all these tournaments and be number one in the world, and you can just be like this humble person. You don't really see that too often out there, so. When he was at the top of his game, I don't know that there was ever a more graceful and unbeatable person than him. That's a great word to describe him. Graceful. Just the way he moves. It's like a ballerina out there. He just made it. He makes it look so effortless when it's really, it's not that easy. It's very, it's a very physical game. And the way he moved around the court was just so elegant. Like it was so, it just seems so easy when it's, it's really not that easy. Right. So, so. Katie, this has been fantastic. If someone wants to follow up with you, they want to see what else is happening with you, go ahead and advertise yourself. Where does someone know what's going on with Katie McNally? Um, I would say you could go probably most of the in, uh, information would be on my Instagram maybe, which is just Katie McNally. Um, if I'm at a tournament, usually I'm kind of posting maybe where I'm at or – some of the cool places I get to go see or how I'm doing uh, in the tournament. So I would say that's probably the best way to find me or on my Twitter, which is also Katie McNally. So, yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff you've given us today. I I like, uh, we haven't had a professional tennis player on yet. This was, this was really, really good just from that standpoint. So I like doing new things, Mm -hmm. but also I think you've given us a lot of things that we can translate into our normal world. Training, how are we training for our lives, whatever our occupation is, that's a really good thing. Knowing who to partner up with, how do you know what a, what a, what a good partner is. Mindset when things aren't going really well. Maybe having a, a Bible passage, it's a theme verse for us. Um, all of us, wherever we are, we can learn something from you. And you've given us a lot, Katie, so thank you very much. And I can't wait... Can't wait to see you holding up the silver jug. It's going to be amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) All right. right, There it is, guys, ladies. You heard something. Put it into practice. Do something here. Don't just, oh, by the way, pickleball. Do you play pickleball? Of course I play pickleball. You play pickleball? I love pickleball. That's not like some weenie sport for you because the real deal thing, tennis, is what something you can do? (laughs) I think some people say that it's like they can't play tennis, so they decide to play pickleball. But I love playing pickleball with my friends uh, in the evenings, especially during the summer. We we played so much uh, just whether it's singles or doubles. I I think it's so much fun. I think it's a great sport. I bet you suck at it. I'm right. Re- Do you play pickleball? <laughs> I have played pickleball, yes. All right, maybe we can play sometime. Is that what you're saying? You're still going to beat me? Maybe we could play and see, how, <laughs> see what happens. All right, I'm sorry. We're, I'm trying to wrap up the podcast, but not yet. So I've got to think that that might jack up your game, though, because it's it's a different strategy, isn't it? It's different swing motion. Yes, no? I think it's different. I mean, obviously, the rackets are different. You're playing with a completely different ball, but I think it's great for reflexes. 
you know, you're coming to the net and when it kind of gets into the the dink and you kind of go like really fast volleys, I think that's great for your reflexes in tennis. And I can I can only see kind of benefits out of it. I mean, there's a lot of movement, a lot of like quick transitioning and um I mean, I I think it's a great a great way to to kind of play. Yeah. There's still a lot of people who have no idea what we're talking about now who have not played pickleball at all. Just give a little public service announcement. Here's the great thing about pickleball. Think about combining ping pong and wiffle ball in tennis. (laughs) Combine all those three things together. But here's the great part. You can go out day one and compete. I think that's the cool thing about it. I think anyone, yeah, anyone can pick up a pickleball racket and go out there and get the hang of it within one or two minutes and yep. anyone can play at any level. So it's, it's great for all ages. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I'm, you're probably going to beat me, but it's, I would still be competitive that I could be competitive against a professional athlete is pretty cool. For sure. I mean, I, I'm ready anytime. Let's, let's set a date. All right. You're ready to have your self-esteem knocked down a couple notches. Are you, you're ready for the Shlomo Glickstein of, of my day. I'm going to have to smoke some cigarettes beforehand and drink some beers just to level the playing field. I mean, if that, if that's what helps, yeah, that, that might be. Well, I don't know if it would help or not, but it would, it would be a lot of fun anyway yeah, it, for me. It would be. All right. Hey, all right, guys and ladies, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Katie. My So good. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second And leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.